0: A drunk blames businesses or domestic problems and pressures for driving him to drink and drive and consequently, tragically kill um, an innocent bystander. A thousand pound man or woman blames the fast food industry for his or her obesity Or something that actually has happened in history. President Nixon on May 19th, 1977, years after he resigned as president, said, if the president does it, it's not illegal. All of us, Christian or not, understand and probably take issue with each of those scenarios. Why? Because I believe that the Bible is God's voice, His Word written down for you and for me. And whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, a religious person or a non-religious person, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2, verses 15, that God's law, His moral law, is written on our heart. It's called our conscience, our moral compass, if you will. And we, more often than not, know right from wrong and good from Bad. In this second sermon in the book of James, we're looking at this big idea. Our responsibility and God's character and commitment. Our responsibility, your responsibility and my responsibility and God's character and commitment. I've entitled this sermon from James chapter 1 verses 13 through 18 this. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. Temptation, sin, and God's commitment to you and to me. My name is Nate. I serve as a husband to Lauren and a dad to four kids. I also serve with the North American Mission Board as well as one of the pastors um, here at Graceland Church alongside and under our lead pastor, Larry Riley. And I want to ask two questions as we're about to read James chapter 1, Verses 13 to 18. So swipe on your phone to James or open up your hard copy of the book of James. If you go towards the end, you'll go to the book of Revelation. If you move to the left, you'll run into the book of James. It's after the book of Hebrews. And I want to ask two questions. What is not happening and what is happening in this passage? As we think about temptation and sin, what is happening and what is not happening? Let me read God's word for us. Verse 13, here's what James writes. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought forth us by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is God's word to you and to me. May God bless the preaching and the listening of it. Let me pray. Father, would you see fit by way of the Holy Spirit to help us understand the Bible? We know that the Bible is your voice, your word written down for us. And we know that we were created to live in alignment to it. And so we need your help. We need grace to believe it and to do it. Give me grace as I preach it. We pray this with expectancy. Amen. Let it be done. So two questions. That are going to help us have an accurate view of our lives. Again, the the big idea, the main point, if you will, is our responsibility and God's character and commitment. So, to understand our responsibility, to see our lives accurately, uh, I want to ask two questions What is not happening, and what is happening? James gives us an admonishment or, or a rebuke or a correction in these first couple verses in verse 13. You might be tempted to say, and I might be tempted to say, um, I'm being tempted by God, and it's God who is at fault, and he's put me in this situation, and God made me like this, and, and God's the one who gave me this weakness. But James exposes and writes a very, at least for me, probably for you, a very uncomfortable truth, and it's this. The evil, the sin, the inclination in our hearts to do those things that we know we should not do does not come from outside of us, but comes from within us. G.K. Chesterton, a theologian, a literary critic who died in 19. 19- 36 i believe said this dear sirs what's wrong with the world and he replied i am and that is what james is getting at what is not happening is we don't get to blame everything or everyone god does not tempt us he does test us we see that throughout the old testament and even in the new testament tempted that word there it's the same word for trials that james uses elsewhere and we have two different results or responses to what goes on in our life. We can see them as a test, and they often are, but if we fail the test, they'll end up being a temptation, right? We think about Adam and Eve. Tests are meant to build character, and we're called to be steadfast and But the same test for one person might be received as a temptation or entrance into sin, not because of God, but because of what's going on in us. So what's not happening is we're not blaming God or blaming our heritage or blaming our circumstances or blaming our environment. But what is happening? That's a great question that I think James answers for us. What is happening? He gives us an answer. He gives us a correction God is good, he says, and isn't tempted to do evil, and he doesn't tempt us, so who needs to take responsibility? You know, this is a big question, a really big issue. We live in a culture where we increasingly see Christian, non-Christian, religious, non-religious person, maybe this has been you, it's certainly been me at times, where we don't want to take responsibility for what goes in our life. We want to blame shift and, well, but, but do you know about this person? You don't know about my circumstance. Now, I am not saying that sometimes making the right decision is, is always easy because I think there are things that are going on in your life, homes that you've grown up in, relationships that you've had, uh, the environment that you've been around that oftentimes make it so difficult to make the right decision. But what James says, again, this uncomfortable truth, we don't blame those outside. We need to see and understand what is lurking in us and what is happening. James says there's something going on in us, and he makes a correction. He says, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one but verse 14. But each person, you and me, is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth or brings forth death. So here's the process of sin that I want you to see. This has been really helpful for me because oftentimes we think of sin as the spontaneous act. And more often than not, that is not the case with our decisions when we sin. It's more often a process Then it is an event. And certainly, we sin at a particular time. But more often than not, there are lots of things going on that lead up to that decision. So let me walk you through real quickly what I think is going on here in the process of sin. First, we see that there is deception. It's where we we begin to question God's word. And we deceive ourselves all the way back in Genesis 3. We see the beginning of sin in history. And what did Adam and Eve do? They questioned God's character. They, they impugned his, his, his personhood. And they were deceived uh, by uh, what was going on around them. And so sin has this deceptive nature to it. So deception leads to, as we see in Genesis 3, and James says the same thing, deception leads to desire. Look at what James says again. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? His own or her own Desire. The language here is that of a baiting of a hook. No fish knowingly bites an empty hook. The idea, and I'm not a fisherman because I don't oftentimes have the patience, but I know this. The idea is to conceal the hook so the fish does not see the hook. Temptation is appealing. Sin is appealing. I would be lying to you. I would not be being honest if I said sin is is never appealing. Sin is appealing at times. But the danger and the destruction and the devastation that it brings oftentimes is concealed because it looks pleasing to the eye. This will feel good. I need that. I deserve that. It can feel the fact that it's dangerous and wants to destroy us. It's what drives a man or woman to pornography a woman into another man's arms. It's what drives a person to cheat on their taxes. Sin starts with a disordered love, a disordered desire. We deceive ourselves and think that I need that, and our loves and our affections and our desires are disordered, as the philosopher and theologian C.S. Lewis said. And that word deceive means to go astray, wander, literally Believing the promise of the lie of sin. So there's deception. There's desire. And then what does that lead to? It leads to disobedience. Leads to disobedience. The, The act. We're deceived. We have a desire. And then we disobey. We act upon our desires. And then what happens? James says, To us. And this is a sobering truth. And you know this to be true. You've seen this as a reality in your own life. It brings forth death, meaning that sin wants to destroy and kill everything it touches. The results and the effects of sin are terrifying. You know this to be true in your heart. If you're a Christian watching, You can think about times where you've sinned or sin has been thrust upon you, and you can see it brings destruction and devastation. If you're not a Christian, you know intuitively what I'm saying. I want to appeal to you to to not be upset or not be angry or push push off this truth. We know as we are made by God and created by God to know him, God has placed his moral law in our, and we know intuitively that there's things we should not do and places we should not go, things we should not think. And we've all done that, every one of us. And we can think about how the effects and the results of sin in our lives has brought destruction and devastation. So temptation and sin is a big deal. Now, just a word of clarification, um, you see a beautiful woman, or you see a handsome man, you see a well-crafted home, or a well-engineered car, you can admire physical beauty, or exquisite craftsmanship, and say that's good, and honor God in saying so. But if we add selfish desire to them, then they become occasions for saying, I want that, or I need that, or I deserve that. The problem lies not outside of us. It lies within us. So just a little self-assessment. As so you're watching this sermon from James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. If sin is a big deal, we see James answering the question, what's not happening and what is happening, right? What's going on within us, this process of sin, uh, deception, desire, disobedience, and then death. Have you been flirting with sin? Do you have a cavalier spirit or response to sin? Are you involved with sin right now where you are? And maybe somebody knows it, but maybe no one knows it. You know, sin wants to kill and destroy and wreak havoc. And in your heart, I know that you know that. And so we want to have we want to have we want to have a right understanding of what's going on in our heart and what God says about our sin. And we want to take ownership of our sin. Now what makes it so hard for people to not want to acknowledge or live up or own their sin or 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 own their guilt. And I think James gives us a glimpse in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my brothers, as he goes on to talk about God's character. But I think looking back to the previous verses, he knows that there are people who are deceived and don't want to believe that. And there's a thing in psychology called the halo effect. And the halo effect is where we, more often than not, we think that there's a halo around our head and we want to think better of ourselves and cast ourselves in a positive light and we're bent on thinking the best of ourselves. But the scriptures give us, God's word gives us a very sobering diagnosis about the human condition. And so James is calling his readers, as he's calling you, as he's calling me, to take ownership of our sin. In fact, that's an indispensable step in becoming a Christian. Many of you watching Our believers, you're trusting in Jesus for salvation. Jesus is your Savior and your King, and you love Him. We love Him imperfectly, but we love Him. And we've received Him in our life, and we're saved, and we're forgiven. But there's some of you watching that you're not a Christian. And and I want you to know, you can become a Christian today, right now, and an indispensable, necessary step in becoming a Christian to say, I'm a sinner. I'm not going to blame that person or that circumstance. It's in me. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free and bring forgiveness. And so that's a little sobering. I mean, thus far, if we ended the sermon, you say, man, Pastor Nate, this is not the most encouraging, positive message. But it doesn't end there, right? There's several more verses. And James gives us a word of hope, a word of encouragement. We see this big idea of God's character and commitment in verses 17 through 18. Now, every week I meet with three guys in Our church, Brandon Ratliff, Adam Campbell, and Matt Frost, we typically meet early and we're walking through the gospel of Mark together. And we're memorizing a passage of scripture. We're holding each other accountable about being the husbands and dads that we need to be and the churchmen that God wants us to be and and holding each other accountable about having conversations about Jesus. It's a a really sweet time. It's a great joy for me. I think that I get more out of it than than, than they get out of it. It's such a blessing to me. But one of the things that we do every week as we read through one chapter a week, we ask questions such as, is there an example to follow? Is there a promise to proclaim in the text or chapter we've read? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there something that we need to believe and do? And one of the questions that we ask every week as we're reading the Bible is this question. Is there an attribute of God that we see in the Bible? And so when you look at verses 17 through 18, you see several attributes or characteristics of God. And this is really important because if we just ended the sermon with the first part, you might walk away thinking, boy, I feel a little beat up. I'm a little discouraged. I see the process of sin. I see deception, desire, disobedience, and death. And I've seen where it's taken effect in my life. Where do I go with that? Well, James wants to give us a word of hope, a word of encouragement. And we see that through this big idea, our responsibility and God's character and commitment. Our responsibility to own our sin and yet juxtaposed with God's character and commitment. What do we see? We see three attributes of God. God is gracious, unchanging, and good. God is gracious, unchanging, and good. James tells us every good and perfect gift in your life comes from God. God is responsible for every good and perfect gift. He never elicits temptations, but rather is the giver of every good thing in your life and my life. He's unchanging. We see that. In the verse, he's the father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. This is referring to God being the creator of the sun and the moon and the stars. And the sun and the moon and the stars have all phases and change throughout the day as we see them. But God does not change. He's unchanging. He is the same as the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus who has got the same yesterday today and, say it with me, forevermore. He's unchanging. And He is good, as we see in this phrase, word of truth. He brought us forth in the word of truth. What does that mean? What is that phrase, word of truth? The phrase refers to the good news of Jesus. Elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 Paul, the apostle, writes: In him you have believed in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, rescue, forgiveness of sins, whereby we receive a new nature. First Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-three says this: Through kindness and God and the love of God's provision in Jesus, our hearts are changed, cleansed, redeemed, forgiven. So why mention that? Well, I think as God is good and God is gracious and God is unchanging, our life, our nature, our future, our condition of being forgiven and changed from our sin and the spiritual debt that sin brings is not contingent upon us, but contingent upon someone outside of us. God brought us forth by the word of truth, meaning God has rescued, saved, forgiven, changed our nature, changed our status from enemy to friend, unforgiven to forgiven in the kingdom of darkness, Colossians chapter 1, to be transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son by what? By the word of truth. A little discouraged. I, I was and I am at times, but the gospel writer, James, wants to encourage us about this word of truth that brings forth change forevermore with our holy God. There's a guy named Augustine. Augustine was a theologian, a philosopher. He had written a lot of books, lived a long time ago. And Augustine, um, after he was converted, after he became a believer, Augustine, prior to being a believer, he lived a very sexually immoral life very sexually and more, and his mom prayed for him faithfully. So mom, dads, grandparents, don't give up. You pray for your kids, you pray for your grandkids. And Augustine, or Augustine, as some of you more refined people say, um, was converted, and a woman that he had formerly lived with called up to him as he walked down the street, but he didn't answer. And she persisted, and she persisted, and persisted, and finally ran up to him and said, Augustine! It is I! To which Augustine said, I know, but it is no longer I. What was he saying? He's giving us a glimpse in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Sin had brought death in his life, spiritual separation, but by the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that we are more sinful than we'd ever ever understood or dreamed of, but we are more loved and treasured by God than we could ever dream of. And Augustine was a recipient of God's grace. He believed in Jesus, and it had changed him, and it had given him the power to live a life that God wanted him to live. Now as I close, let's look at verse 18, and then will be done. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, the gospel, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits. This picture carries the idea of a foretaste of what is to come in the future. The reality that God has changed our hearts by his gracious and good and unchanging nature is a preview and a glimpse of the day that awaits you and me if we're believers, whereby we won't have any more trials, no more tests, no more temptations, no more sinning. So what do we do? We want to go back to a verse that Pastor Larry mentioned last week, verse 12. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman, blessed is the girl, blessed is the boy. Happy is the person who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God promised to all those who love him. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that it would not be poured out on us. He took our punishment and we will believe and trust in Jesus. We go from spiritual separation to spiritual separation union, by the word of truth. And we want to keep our eyes on Jesus, knowing that he is infinitely more appealing and attractive and awesome than anything that our desires are fixed upon. So as we think about, again, this big idea, we think about our responsibility and God's character and commitment. We want to own our sin, but we don't don't want to stay there. We want to point our hearts to God's character and his good, gracious and unchanging character and the commitment of by the word of truth he has changed he has changed us for his glory and now we can live in obedience to him through the help of the Spirit of God. I hope that encourages and challenges you today.